We here are all such innovative people. So I am telling you, if you want to change the world, you're at Georgia Tech. You can do that. If you want to build the Iron Man suit, you're at Georgia Tech. You can do that. If you want to play theme music during your convocation speech like a badass, we're at Georgia Tech. We can do that. I am doing that. And we are doing this. This is the podcast known as What's the Good Word. It is a podcast of Georgia Tech athletics by Georgia Tech alum and fans for Georgia Tech alum and fans. My name is Stephen. I am the alum. His name is Joshua. He is the fan. Joshua, what's the good word? To hell with Georgia. I like your dramatic Put that pause. on a t-shirt. Put that on a t-shirt right below Stetson Bennett's mugshot. And there you go. I like it. I like it. Uh, welcome to episode number 25 of What's the Good Word. Of course, and I just started this a couple episodes ago, number 25 is the Mark Price episode. Unlike other times when we talk about other numbers that we'll try to name for tech athletes, we don't have a three-hour show for me to go through all the things of uh, the greatness of Mark Price, except to say that he put Georgia Tech basketball back on the map after the wasteland, after the good teams of the 60s and the wasteland of the SEC years in the 70s and early 80s. It was Mark Price who started the resurgence. Sometime that, sometimes that one recruit can get you back on the road to relevancy. Who knows if somebody currently on the court or somebody coming in next year is that person for the basketball Martinoff <laughs> or blue cane or someone else Fred but Paul as Bogotskis, we, who knows? we're not hey we're not going to talk about those guys yet because it is number uh, episode number 25 the mark price episode so uh joshua for those of you who've, this is your first time in the show we like to do all the georgia tech news we can give you as many uh different good news stories and and facts from various sources. Before we dive into a particular subject, Joshua, give us a preview of what we're going to do on the back half of the show, because it's not specifically about tech athletics, but it certainly involves tech athletics. It is It is not. So there's been a lot of, of pieces of news about this in the media recently. So we decided as the leading voices of the Georgia Tech athletics uh, fan club, whatever, we wanted to come on here and kind of have a discussion about NIL, name, image, and likeness. You know, what what is it? Uh, is it good? Is it bad? How do we feel about it personally? And how can it be? How has it been used so far? Fantastic. So we'll do a little pontification. We'll do a little opinion. We certainly want to hear what you guys think. Please give us something more than. We need to have more of it because that's not the point of the topic today. The point of the topic is what are some of the pitfalls? What are some of the benefits and how might we separate ourselves from other institutions, either through it or in spite of it? So before we get to that, let's get into the news. Joshua, I believe you are going to kick us off. We certainly have had the meat of the recruiting season happen already, but there's still trickle down recruiting economics that we want to talk about quickly. So I give us a couple know. of pieces of information. It's not trickle down. These are called the leftovers. All right. They Ooh, whoa, left no, no, no. We're not going to, we're going to talk about the completions to our recruiting class. 
well, they're leftovers, but not the guys that Tech brings in. These are top-tier elite-level athletes that we're talking about here. Right? These are the cream of the crop. Um, so Georgia Tech did bring in a few kids. Um, a lot of these kids that are that end up signing around this time typically come on as priority walk-ons. Not a lot of scholarships left, at least at the moment, um, because of the transfer portal opening back up later on in the spring. We'll see what happens there. But either way, Tech did bring in three kids from the high school ranks. Uh, the first one is Joseph Stover. Now, I know you're asking what position does he play. He is a long snapper, so I wish I could break down the intricacies of just why he's going to be the best darn long snapper in the ACC in two years. I can't right now, but as long as he gets it to the guy, I think he's doing his job. Uh, second one that came in is actually a high-level recruit. His name is Logan Weighall. He is an elite, and this was used in multiple headlines, elite. He is an elite place kicker slash punter. So another player to add to the special teams room going along with Gavin Stewart, David Shanahan, and the few other people, Aiden Burr coming back from surgery. The other one is defensive back Nelson Wogherin. Uh, the one thing I am noticing so far about these is that the people with the most interesting names apparently are waiting till the last minute to commit to tech. So we've got Wog here in we call and Stover. Very fun. Uh, yes, Nelson Wog hire. Uh, he's a lo- I believe he's a local kid. It's going to be interesting to see what he can do on the flats. We have a few other pieces of news to talk about. The first one, this just broke a couple minutes ago. Jason Seymour, special teams coordinator for this coming season, no longer going to be on the tech staff. He took a job as the defensive coordinator at Marshall. So you hate to see him go, but you love to see him get an opportunity to show everybody what we at Tech already know, which is that he's a very, very good coach. So kudos to him. Nothing but um, praise and love. best of luck to him. And the last piece your- of news. Hmm? Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Last piece of news, three Tech players did also leave the program. This is not a transfer. They're not going somewhere else. The rumor and innuendo, the report is they're stepping away from football entirely. I don't know if how many of them will stay at Georgia Tech to finish their degrees, how many of them will go to other colleges to finish those degrees or whatnot. But, yes, three players we'll be saying goodbye to. Uh, TK Chemedza, he was a three-star recruit that came in. He's been on the team since 2018. Uh, he has not played. I mean, he's gotten in a lot of games, but he only has 59, 55 total tackles in his career, two tackles for loss, two sacks. Um, he, again, he was a very highly regarded recruit, 6'3", 322 pounds, just never really caught on with the team. Uh, second one, P.J. Harris, the tight end, 6'3", 211 pounds. He came in as a tweener. Um, I do remember him kind of – being in between, he played a little wide receiver. I think at one point he was a quarterback, maybe. In his career, he had 23 catches for 234 yards. He's been on the team since 2019. So, unfortunately, he's going to walk away. And then the other one was offensive guard Pierce Quick, who, if you'll remember, he just transferred in last season from Alabama, where he didn't play a lot. Coming out of high school, he was a top 50 player in the 24-7 sports composite, number 40. Uh, number seven on the offensive tackle, didn't play a lot at Alabama, P- played a little bit for us last year, did have some injury problems, which he had at Alabama as well. So he decided he didn't want to risk his well-being. I believe what I saw Pierce Quick is returning to Alabama to finish his degree. All three of the gentlemen wanted to finish their career as far as playing days 
kind of walking away from the sport and concentrating on finishing their degree. We certainly wish them the best. I believe the the tight end you mentioned, I mean, the tight end room got really crowded this offseason. So that one kind of makes sense. I think quick is, you know, has probably had enough of the injuries. And so good luck to those guys. And thank you for the service you gave us and, and the, the time on the field. So we appreciate it. Uh, I would like to give some uh, women's athletic news while we're sitting here. I got both of these stories off of ramblinrec.com. Good old Tony Morgan, freshman guard of the women's basketball team, earned ACC Rookie of the Week honors again, her second time of the season. She averaged 13 and a half points and eight assists for the week over two games. Those two games Pretty good for the Lady Jackets. They got their third conference win. Not only did they get their third conference win, they beat a ranked opponent, NC State, at home, 68-62. to They unfortunately lost to Miami at Miami, 64-58. But Tony Morgan had 17 points and 10 assists against NC State. And as I stated, was the ACC Rookie of the Week yet again. The women stand at 12-11. and 11 three and nine in the conference. So they are pulling away at this point. Looks like they're playing better. She is a, uh, as I stated, she is a freshman. She is leading the conference freshman in assists. She's averaging, uh, I believe, over eight assists per game on the season. So she seems to be the straw that's stirring the drink. Kudos to Tony Morgan. Congratulations to the women on a great win against a ranked opponent. Speaking of women's sports, I and speaking of individual accolades, uh, sophomore Kylie Bilchin or Bilchev, excuse me, Kylie Bilchev of the women's tennis team was named ACC Singles Player of the Week. She defeated two ranked singles opponents in singles wins over over their last meet that they had. She defeated. Number rank number 70, Ashley Yea from Illinois, and she defeated Christina Hand, the 54th ranked women's singles tennis player at Northwestern. She beat them both at one meet. Bilchev is 11 and 4 so far in singles competition and 12 and 5 in doubles competition. So kudos to both those lady jacket athletes for their individual accolades this past week. Joshua, there's a silver lining, but it's still a loss around the men's basketball team. That's that's one way to put it. So the women's basketball team was able to take home a win against NC State. The men's basketball team, on the other hand, was um, not. They were not able to take home a win traveling to uh, NC State. They... Sorry, they were defeated by a score of 72 to 64. Now, that's a closer win, or that's a closer loss, right? Only lost by eight, not a horrible game. Interesting thing to note, looking at the box score, it looks like a box score from when Josh Pastor was first the head coach because the starters all played 36 minutes or more. In total, there were 16 minutes from the bench. Four for Tristan Maxwell, four for Davon Smith, three for Jalen Moore, and three for Jordan Mecca. So Josh Pastner got a five-man lineup that he liked the, his starters, which I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, but it's a lineup that I've been pining for just a little bit. They went small and went with Javon Franklin at the five. 
um, surrounded him with Lance Terry, Kyle Sturdivant, Debo Coleman, and Miles Kelly. He found something he liked. It worked to an extent, and he just said, I am going to ride it till the night is done. And Joshua, I have to tell you, other than the Miami game, this was by far the best ACC game that Georgia Tech has played. Now, that's not saying much. We all agree. But they had the lead for most of the game up until about four minutes left. You go to four minutes left, and NC State had kind of started making a run. I think we were up like six with like five minutes to play. And from the four-minute mark to the end of the game, I believe we had four turnovers, and we went one for five from the field, all three-point shots, and we made one of them. So that's where NC State put the game away. You could say we had tired legs. You could say we don't really know how to close those games. We don't have a guy that we can put it in his hand and get a bucket. You know, that all the things we've talked about. But you cannot, you, you have to state, we went to NC State. They are a top four ACC team. They are probably going to be a ranked team. They're definitely a tournament team. And they're at the top echelon of the league right now. And we stood toe-to-toe and competed longer than we have in any other ACC game and played by far our best ACC game. This might be the five that Passner tries to tries to ride and get some wins between now and, and the end of the season. There might be a slight uh, switch. Maybe Davon plays a little more. Uh, maybe Jalen plays a little more. I don't know. But this seems to be the team with the most energy, the most as, most athleticism, and five guys who can all kind of put it in the bucket. Yeah. Well, notable stats from the game, other than the minutes, of course, Javon Franklin um, continues to win my heart and soul with uh, 16 points on 7 of 12 shooting, 8 rebounds, 5 assists, 5 blocks, and a steal. So talk about he had, statue. he had a monster dunk. You can find it on any highlight package. ACC, the ACC posted it. Yeah, he caught it at the high post. The guy overplayed like everybody does against us. He took one dribble and took off from in, the inside part of the circle higher than that and just, I mean, hammered it. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, Miles Kelly also came in with 17 points and nine rebounds. On 50% shooting, 7 of 14. Uh, Double-digit points from Kyle Sturdivant and Lance Terry as well. Debo didn't have a great game, only shot 3 of 10. A uh, big difference in the game, uh, looking at it, Georgia Tech actually shot a higher percentage from the field, 44 to 42. Uh, they shot the same from 3 at 33. The big difference was Georgia Tech had 16 turnovers to NC State's nine. Neither team really racked up the assists. Georgia Tech had nine. NC State had 14. And other than that, uh, not, a, not a horrible game from the Jackets. Obviously, not a great game, but losing by eight at home to NC State after the season that Tech has had, it's one of those things where it's you hate the fact that we're at this point, but it's a moral victory that you'll take. Right. Uh, up next for the Jackets, as we're recording this, uh, when this comes out, they will be playing that night Wednesday against Notre Dame at home. Uh, they also play Wake Forest over the weekend, Virginia Tech, then Florida Tech, Pitt, Louisville again, and Syracuse, and finish out with Boston College. This is the season's kind of gone, but this is the stretch where you might 
If you can start playing better, maybe you can get a couple more ACC wins, get to three or four. We'll see. Again, last year's team only had five. So we'll see. And we go into next year with three sophomores becoming juniors, and maybe we can get another recruit to go with blue. Especially the most underrated recruit in the class of blue cane. Every time I see a post about him, it's like, oh, yeah, he just had a quiet 25 points. To quote a uh, not-so-classic but very good movie, You're My Boy, Blue. All right. Last piece of news before we get to the second half of the show. I want to talk about the Pro Golf Report. If you go to ramblinrec.com, you, too, can read about the Jackets Pro Golf Report and kind of an interesting story. So two stories real quick. Andy Ogletree, anybody who follows Tech, the tech golf program. Andy Ogletree was one of the good ones from recently. He actually was the 2019 U.S. Amateur Open champion, if I'm not mistaken. He started la- this year or last year in 2022. He played in the first live golf event in London, finished last in that event, and the PGA banned him. That's one of the things that's happening right now. Live golfers are banned on PGA. They can't come play at PGA events. They're making them choose between the two. Andy Ogletree, a very young professional, goes to the live event, doesn't do well in his first one, is banned from the PGA. Apparently, that ban has been lifted at least partially, and Andy Ogletree is going to be competing on the Asian Tour, the PGA Asian Tour, and apparently did fairly well in his first event out. I believe he finished ninth or 10th. So kudos to him. I hope he can find where he needs to land professionally. But I wanted to read a quick story about Chris Peatfish. Uh, Chris Peatfish is a former tech golfer who was uh, on the verge of grabbing his first Corn Ferry Tour. This is the, I guess you could call it the minor league tour, the secondary tour, what used to be known as the Nike Tour back in the day. He was after the third round, he was leading by one shot, but he finished the fourth round posting a 74 and finished in eighth place in the Panama Championship. You might be saying, Stephen, why are you bringing up this story about some guy finishing eighth in a Corn Ferry Tour in Panama? Because Chris Peatfish originally was the fourth alternate at the deadline. He got into the field following, following a withdrawal by somebody He was playing out of what's called the finisher 76 to 100 on the 2022 Corn Ferry Tour points list and and was part of the additional qualifying tournament finalists. So basically, this guy was hanging on. He was kind of in a qualifier list, hoping he hadn't competed in, I think he competed in one other event. He basically waits to try and see if he can get into certain tournaments. He finally gets in. He's the he's an alternate, last alternate in, and he finishes in the top 10. I have no idea what this does for the rest of his tour, but I believe it kind of moves him up in the ranking, and this will help him get some exemptions moving forward. So big shout out to Chris Peatfish. This was his second best overall tournament finish. We wish him well, and you got a little shout out on what's the good word. Joshua, before we start talking about name, image, and likeness, why don't you remind everybody, if this is your first time listening to the show, we are not just a, it sounds like we're just two guys talking, but we do like to interact with the fans. We do like to hear from our listeners. You are listening to this because you are a Georgia Tech alum or fan. You know what it is to be a martyr. 
You know what it is to uh, many are called, but few are chosen. You have been chosen to be a fan of this great institute. And so tell everybody how they can interact with the show. Yeah, if um, you hear something today or in any other previous episode that you like, that you don't like, uh, you strongly disagree, strongly agree, somewhat agree, somewhat disagree, or none of the above, you just want to be shouted out on the show, you can email me at joshuajulian26. Julian is spelled J-U-L-I-A-N, so joshuajulian26, at outlook.com. And I read my email very quickly. You will be shouted out. On the show, I will forward it to Stephen, and you'll be famous. You'll be enjoyed by dozens and dozens of fans. Dozens and dozens. So, name, image, likeness. We can do the we can do this the shock jock way. We can do this uh, by being very elementary about it. I am assuming anyone listening to this kind of knows the basics. But by the same token, I don't think anyone who is in the NCAA office or anyone involved in any of these collectives truly knows exactly what name, image, and likeness is and is not, because that seems to be one of the running stories is what exactly is this thing? So we kind of all have a general idea. So I'm not going to give the five o'clock news 60 second thing. But what I wanted to start the conversation about is up to this point as we're recording this in the beginning of 2023 and it's been here basically a year what are what do you see so far that excites you and or worries you about name image and likeness um well, <laughs> the thing that worries is absolutely no governing body and really no rule are enforceable around this this new federal law. Um, the reason for that is the NCAA dragged its feet on it and kind of lagged behind on what they could or should have been doing. And because of that, when they got brought before the Supreme Court, they got embarrassed on national on the national stage, 9-0 sweep in their case. And now, because of that, because NIL is now a na- nationwide thing, the NCAA is almost scared to enforce anything that would be a violation of the law that they have on the books because then it could be seen as they're you know, stopping a player from being able to make money. So the NCAA is just kind of it, – it's the wild, wild west more or less. You know, the, the whole point is NIL isn't supposed to be pay for play. It's supposed to be unassociated with the university – um third party people fact of the matter is it's not i mean the the collectives will tell you that they don't have any contact with the head coach and it's true they don't but they have contact with somebody who has contact with the head coach so they the head coach knows what's going on the head coach knows what the collective can get get done um the thing that excites me i think it's nice that um college athletes can make money off of their name image and likeness and like their success because a lot of them become very popular people and you see some really good moments the issue is is just it's caught up in the the relatively bad ones where it looks really bad and you have these collectives that are throwing millions upon millions of dollars at 18 year old kids to get them to come to their university so what do you think 
do you think it's going to stay like this currently what we're dealing with now in 2023 do you believe that this is going to change quickly change slowly kind of slog along well, do you have any kind of prediction i'm a capitalist and i believe in the free market and i can tell you right now that because this is because it's it was so new and it came in with zero restrictions these large sums of money that you're seeing are not going to last because it's just I, it's unsustainable. There's no way that collectives can continue to make the, some of the payments they're promising. The exact same thing was said about free agency in Major League Baseball in 1975. The exact same thing was said about the first million dollar a year player in any sport every time that's happened. The same thing was said. I mean, that's I completely disagree with that because well, so there's if a you're a capitalist. Between- you're a capitalist capitalism doesn't always mean the most efficient use of money what you're so now the one thing a capitalist might say is okay well over time you innovate and and it it gets it gets more efficient and the cost comes down kind of per player or or that kind of thing because there are already people going well what they should do is they they really need to pool the money and everybody gets the same amount so they're talking about socialism there are some there are some places there's some collectives that do that where they sign everybody on the team to a contract and they kind of get tiered out there's some like the florida one where they commit 13 million dollars to a four-star 18 year old quarterback i just don't think that kind of stuff is gonna last i think those are outliers because you mentioned free agency, and that's that's a good point. But the difference is when you sign a free agent, they directly so that raises the value of those teams, and those teams are then reinvesting that money back into the players. These programs aren't investing the money into the players; it's coming from the third parties. So collectives, because they have a finite amount of money, because they only have as much money as their donors are willing to give them. I think eventually donors are going to realize, hey, um, we don't have the money to be able to continue to pay out $8 million to the top quarterback every recruiting cycle. So I think eventually that kind of stuff is going to even out and we're going to get to the point where the numbers come down. And so the Nico Ayamaliavas and Jaden Rashadas are going to be the outliers of the first part. That, that's kind of where I sit. I just I don't think that it's sustainable because boosters only have so much money and they're not making money off of this that's the biggest difference is the collectives are all nonprofits. so and what's funny is it's called nil because it's name image and likeness where where are i'm wondering the first time a player gets fired for not living up to his standards of the name, image, likeness. Hey, you were supposed to make these appearances and they don't make those appearances. Do they then not get paid? Yeah. I mean, it's a breach of contract. You could probably terminate it. I mean, the uh, we've already seen an NIL contract uh, voided before the kid even got on campus because this is the Jade Rashada thing. I don't know how much you've read about this, but I he, he had signed an NIL deal with um, a collective for the University of Miami for like $8 million. And then he was let out of that contract and went to Florida and he got a $13 million contract and he was due $500,000 up front on a certain date. He didn't get that payment. And due to various reasons, I don't know what the official thing was. I think it's because they didn't have the money to produce what they were going to have to produce. 
they voided that they like backed out of the contract and now Jaden Rashada is going to Arizona State. So what's he getting there? So far, nothing. See, that went to Arizona State because that's where his dad played. But that's so that's different. That's the collective saying, oops, wait, we don't have the money. We're gonna null and void the contract. What I'm saying is the athlete signs this contract and with it, he's supposed to make certain appearances, do signatures, do podcasts or appear and, and you know appear on shows and commercials he doesn't do that then they go well screw it we're not giving you your money well respectfully at that point he doesn't deserve to get paid because most of these collectives are requiring like a tweet a month advertising the the, the collective and then signing i think for Jaden rashadas it was he had to sign 15 pieces of memorabilia a year right and make like maybe four shows. But if you can't do that, uh, you don't deserve the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Take that statement, apply it to any job you've had in your life. All of our listeners, think about the person who continues to get paid even though they don't do the work. I, I'm So here's here's my big thing. And you said it at the very beginning. So an organization like the NCAA, which has already had a spotty past of not uh, of the ridiculous that they would crack down on and the obvious that everybody knew was going on at so many places and they don't crack down on it. They don't have the manpower already to monitor. And now they have to, they are required because of the Supreme court ruling to put something together. Some law is placed. States have to change their laws so that they compete on this, uh, on this landscape. You called it a wild, wild west. It's it's going to be so ripe. You are a, you are getting into mass media. You could build a career on digging up the ridiculous, the obviously stupid, and the sad of what's going to happen of people who put their money in collectives that get nothing in return. The the way that schools are now going to have to compete for the dollars for their facilities. I'm wondering how long until the school says we can't we can't afford to pay for everything. We can't have all the greatest, you know, equipment and stuff like that for all of our programs because we're not getting the donations we used to get. That donation money, some of which somehow made its way into the players and maybe not directly, but all the things they were given how long until a college football program says, oh, yeah, you got to we don't provide pregame meal or, or, or our pregame meal is less than what it was or we can't afford this, that or the other. We can't pay for travel. They're going to have to you know, start cutting benefits here and there because the donation money is going to the collective to pay for the players. Now, you could say, well, it should have been going to the players all along. OK, I get that. But I'm saying that's where it's not going to be sustainable is, you know, maybe coaches contracts come down, maybe facilities get cut a little bit. And then maybe you don't have eight recruiting staffers. And then the other side of that coin is going to be how long until we get stories of the IRS finding guys who got money from the NIL, but never, you know, never recorded or didn't record the income properly people who don't know how to handle money. And, you know, we have pro athletes going bankrupt all the time because they don't know how to handle money. Now, now you're going to give it to 18 year old kids 
So you're looking at you're looking at a scenario where everybody is trying to figure out. And I think, as with so many other things, I think there are a lot of people who are truly trying to do the best job they can or do the right thing. But what is the right thing? What does that look like? Does it mean we put money in trust and they get it when they get out of college or they get done? Do we give them a stipend out of the money? Do we, yeah, I mean, how do we set this up? How do we do this? Or do we just plop a chunk of money down in an 18, 19 year old's lap? And I'm sure nothing could ever go wrong with that. Of course not. Absolutely not. Um, I think the way that NIL, so far for me at least, I think the way that NIL has been the most successful and to me the coolest is with the local and regional uh, advertising and how kids are able to do stuff like that. And that is already disappearing. I agree with you. That was the cool thing. Hey, the local business who wants to put some money and pay for the offensive linemen or pay for the the track team or, you know, and 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 pay them to be their sponsors outside the outside the season. But because of the collectives and there's all this excess money, wild, crazy money, hedge fund money, whatever anti-capitalist term you want to throw on it, all this private money that's getting thrown into the collectives. The collectives are swallowing up any kind of local well, stuff. I think it's more of just it's swallowing up the headlines. And so you hear about the millions and millions of dollars. You don't necessarily hear about the local businesses um, because the local businesses aren't throwing in millions of dollars. They're going, hey, we can give you 100000 a year if you do some advertising for us. The best example I have is there's a Division II lineman who was a famous meme when he was like 11 years old in a Popeyes. And it, it's a meme that lives to this day. And now he has an NIL deal with Popeyes and is like on billboards and stuff. And there's the same thing with a wide receiver at a smaller school. His name is DeColdest. And so he's got an HVAC contract with a local heating and air company. It's like that's the kind of stuff to me that's cool. I like that kind of stuff. And I think sure. that, that is effective because the kid gets some money. He's able to – you know, profit off his business, work with people and kind of understand how contracts work and a local business or a business gets the ability access to a college player. The issue that I have so far is that again, collectives are swallowing up the headlines. And so in most people's minds, NIL is more or less pay for play. Yes. Right? You, 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 you sign on to a school and the and the collective is like, OK, we're going to give you eight million dollars. And all you got to do is make four autograph shows a year, um, send out a tweet once a month. And there you go. Yeah. So do you have any opinion or uh, do you have any wild and crazy ideas that you would like to see? You would say, hey, if Joshua were in charge of the NCAA and or the NIL, or I was put in charge of the Georgia Tech NIL collective, how would you do things? If do you have any in charge of the collectives? Do you have, do, do you have in charge? Any, yeah. Do you have any opinions or ideas? Because I have something. I think the best thing that collectives could do is instead of just handing kids money, they could do something similar to what Overtime Elite is doing with the kids that they bring in. Instead of just handing them money, they give them the ability to kind of take control of it themselves. So instead of 
a collective being a, a blank check fund. It's more of you work with them. It's like, okay, so what are you interested in? When you find out what you're interested in, okay, so there's these companies in downtown Atlanta that do that kind of stuff. We can get you some kind of relationship with them. You know, you can get some sponsored tweets out, build some relationships in that front off in the front office there. Because then, you know, let's say the football career doesn't work out. You've got connections right there. You know, you, the biggest issue that you see with that pro at, with athletes, it, you know, you talk about pro athletes going broke. There's a whole lot of athletes that dedicate their lives to the sport and never make any money anyway. And so right. then they get done and they're like, okay, well, I don't know what to do. I only know this. So collectives should more or less, to me, they should operate almost as middlemen in a perfect world where they just connect players with businesses, both, you know, fortune 500 and local and small with one location and just kind of provide it's a beneficial for both as opposed to just writing checks. I, I totally agree. Uh, so people who are alum of Georgia tech know of the co-op program, uh, the Georgia tech co-op, is one of the best programs out there. In fact, earlier today, I was having lunch with a fellow alum and we were talking about some of our our sons and we were talking about various things. And one of the things he stated, and he's right, said the reason the Georgia Tech co-op program works so well is because every class you need for your degree that is heavily involved in the co-ops offers those classes all the time. So you don't have to worry about, I can only take this class in the fall semester. I, I've got to take it now or else I can't take it. So because of that, that gives them so much freedom to be involved with co-ops and be connected with businesses that will get you involved in the line of work you want to do. So I'm with you. Number one, hey, what's your major and who can we? So every major of every college should be starting to partner with businesses to say, would you like to have student athletes co-op at your business? So now, because I think one of the things of NIL, and I saw this in the Georgia Tech NIL, you cannot be involved in the business during the season, during the, the they, they, of course, there's a calendar around each sport. So you can't be involved with your NIL stuff during the season. I get that. The season should be your number one priority. In your off season, who do you want to partner with? I, don't, I, I have this list. Okay, let's get you paired up. I don't know. Okay, then let's have you part of the NIL that that collective should partner with charity organizations, with beautification projects, with helping with mentoring uh, students, go in and tutor kids, go in and teach athletics at various schools. How cool would it be for football players of a college to go to all to disperse among the schools in the area and give talks or teach clinics on their sport or sports in general or their favorite subject, period. I'm helping teach history or math. Get them back involved and, and they get paid for, that's an appearance fee. I make an appearance fee at all the different schools around my campus. Why not get paid for that? Because that now you're doing and you're getting paid while helping charitable organizations, make appearance at hospitals, make appearance at, at parks, all that kind of stuff, which the ACC, you know, every 
college has those photo ops, why not have them be, that's where they make their money. Why not pay them for that? It's technically not with the college. That should be taken over by the collective. And then the collective can benefit from that. And hey, we we made an appearance at a children's hospital thanks to our partners at so-and-so who helped us do this. Yeah. And and that's fantastic. The other thing, and I'm so I'm gonna go back to what you said. You talked about that division two athlete, the Popeyes guy and the the HVAC. I will say the one thing that players are now probably responsible for, but should be taught is branding themselves, marketing themselves, treating themselves as a business. Their body is their business. Their sport is their business. And you need to learn the entrepreneurial skills of building a business. How do you market yourself? How do you and and oh well they're they're selling themselves. Yeah. Welcome to sales. Welcome to business. That that's that's the beauty of American capitalism is you go find people do business with people they've built relationships with. So these guys should be learning how to market themselves. And I saw some stuff about uh, it's about branding, and I I get it. I'm I'm an old fart, so I know that's a new word. But it's really just learning how to market yourself and build your own business slash brand. So, absolutely, I, I feel what you're saying. The problem after these great ideas is not everybody's going to see it that way. It, it is buying a team. Jim Beheim was quoted as saying, "This is why Shashevsky got out. This is why other guys, you know, the, these teams well, are being bought and sold." Okay, so every there's been multiple coaches that have said Nick Saban is the f- most famous one for saying Jimbo bought every recruit in his class, and there's been a few other coaches at smaller schools that have said, "Oh, you know, Drake." Somebody said Drake May got f- a five million dollar offer to transfer. The fact of the matter is, those coaches say it, but they're doing it too. You know, every school is doing it, and every school is doing it beforehand. Now it's just that the bagmen in the shadows are now called, you know, the NIL collective, and they can do it legally as opposed to having to slide the money under the table. I, I and this is this is very late in the show, but I believe one of the I believe one of the biggest problems I see for the NIL is because this now happened a few years after the transfer portal really opened up. That's what's creating the Wild West stuff. If you sign an NIL, you should, you know, there's a there's a buyout of the coach's contract or if the coach does it improperly con, con, uh, contacts other schools after having a contract, you know, th- there should be some contractual language. I talked about IRS. Wait until there are some legal breaches of contract and a 19-year-old kid gets sued by some company because he broke a contract kind of thing. That that that's going to be unfortunately the bad news side of it. I guess one I guess one of the things I wanted to wrap up with, with since this is what's the good word as a Georgia Tech Athletics podcast, the Georgia Tech cooperative program is one of the best, you know, internship/co-ops in the nation. We've always stood behind that. We need to figure out a way to get that co-op to the level of the student athlete and find co-ops for them 
that it, okay, it's not necessarily NIL, but get them jobs at during the off season and just call it NIL or they're getting work done. There, there's got to be some ways where we can kind of tailor that. And, and I think, and this might be absolutely wishful thinking. I'm, I'm known sometimes as a romantic with my head in the clouds. I think there's a chance with all this NIL stuff that the value of the education that the student athlete, student athlete truly is looking for is one of the things that walk on punter said was he said, I fell in love with the academics of Georgia Tech. That can actually be a separation from all the other parks and rec management degrees and general studies degrees that well, these other. It, it can be, and it's, but it just depends on what the recruit or what the kid values. There, there are kids that value, oh, yeah, I can go to Georgia Tech and get, you know, like Ben Lambers. I can go to Tech and get a mechanical engineering degree and play basketball. And then there are other kids that are like, you know, I'm going to the league. I just want to play Correct. basketball. Correct. So, I mean, it it depends on what you the kid puts value in. There's nothing wrong with valuing. I would rather play at Duke and contend for a national championship as opposed to going to Georgia Tech, lose a bunch, but I can get a good degree. It's it's up to the player. And NIL is just to an extent created a whole nother factor, which in reality, at the I don't think it has as big of an impact on some players. I think it has a big impact. It has an impact on a lot of players and has a big impact on some. Because one of the things I read the athletic story on Rashada, one of the things that's alleged in the story was that when Rashada was getting recruited, when a coach would start to really kind of talk to him, his dad would be like, all right, so how much can you give us? And it's reported in the story that at least two schools pulled the, pulled their offers after having that kind of conversation with his father. So as with everything, there's good and bad actors and a whole well, lot believe, of kids in the middle. I believe one of the rules is the coaches technically aren't allowed to say anything about money. Yep. It has to be from the collective. And again, here's where the, because <clears throat> some of the coaches who are complaining, oh yeah, coaches are talking to kids about money. So it's, it's, I just believe NIL is here to stay apparently. So money is now going to be a factor with a lot of players. I think in that realm, two things that schools who aren't swimming in a lot of cash or, or don't want to focus just on the money can begin to separate themselves. I think education can now come back or even take a stronger role among athletes who care about their education. There are a bunch of them who do care and want to get that degree that will help them land a great job. They're great. They're good athletes. They may not be professional athletes, but they're good athletes. So you can get a lot of good, smart athletes. Secondly, I think there's going to be an aspect of team building, long-term team building, building a culture. It doesn't exist anymore because kids just hit the transfer portal. <laughs> That's what Dabo was about, and now Dabo loses talent hand over fist every every offseason. I'm not saying you'll never use the transfer portal or you'll never lose kids to the transfer portal, but can you build a culture where fewer kids are leaving than other places? Because 
I, so I'm going to call it the snit factor to go back to the Braves. People, uh, professional athletes want to play for, for certain coaches rather than other coaches. Yes, they want to compete for championships. Yes, they want to get paid. But there is something to be said in the pool of thousands of athletes. I believe some are attracted to strong leadership. And I'm, we're going to see how Brent Key does. There is no question one of the reasons he was hired is there's an O'Leary aspect to him. He played for him and coached with him. And O'Leary was about putting a team together, and and there's something to be said for that. Yeah, I, I know I'm wishy-washy, wishful thinking, but we'll see how it goes. It again, the the best way for me to put it, I would say, is I think when we have conversations like this, it, it becomes a, a generalization, and it makes it sound like every kid is wired the same way. All these kids have different priorities, different things that they're looking for out of their college experience and so therefore you you just great recruiters adapt and so if you find a kid that you want and he's about the education there you go if you find a kid that you want and he's about nil and you don't have the money for it then you move on i mean it i I think that there's only a select few kids out there that are going to make their college decisions solely on nil we'll see so this has been fun. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, and we certainly want to hear what you think. <clears throat> please, please, please don't just email us and say Georgia Tech needs to get more NIL money. Please expand on that. Tell us more. Tell us your thoughts. Tell us your opinion. What would you do? How would you set up the Georgia Tech NIL if you had a couple million dollars to seed it? We don't. If you do, actually, the way you should seed it is to sponsor the What's the Good Word podcast, and we can do interviews with all the players. <laughs> Absolutely. We will work for uh, very little, very reasonable fees. How's that? Sure. Yeah. And we'll, uh, be, we'll be consultants as well. Yeah, I don't require much. Actually, you guys know this podcast is a labor of love. We have no sponsors to this point. We don't plan on having any sponsors because they get in our way, and we just enjoy talking about Georgia Tech Athletics. You can email the show at joshuajulian26 at outlook.com. Joshua, do you have any last words of wisdom for our listening audience? I just I want to ask them a question, and so they can – yell it in their cars or silently chant it to themselves wherever they are. And that question is very simple. What's the big thing?